0: Well, tonight, if you would turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 8. We've spent three weeks in 1 Corinthians 7. Now we turn to this short chapter, just 13 verses. This addresses another topic that was brought up to Paul by the Corinthian church, this time regarding idol worship and particularly food that was offered to idols. Now, we have to understand the culture in those days. In Corinth, idol worship was so prevalent that to separate totally from all common pagan practice would be practically separating yourself from the world. In fact, meat, especially for the poor, would almost always have been associated with idol worship or sacrifices. If you were invited to a meal that had meat as part of the fare of that meal, it was often because it was in the social setting of idol worship. If you were buying meat from the marketplace, it was usually the case that that meat had been from those animals that had been sacrificed in the pagan temple. And so therefore, they were asking some specific details about what they should do in regard to eating meat in their community. So with these words, this particular situation, hear what Paul has to say inspired by the Holy Spirit in chapter 8. He says, now concerning food offered to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge. This knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. If anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he is known by God. Therefore, as to the eating of food offered to idols, we know that an idol has no real existence and that there is no God but one. For although there may be so-called gods in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. However, not all possess this knowledge, but some, through former association with idols, Eat food as really offered to an idol, and their conscience, being weak, is defiled. Food will not commend us to God. We are no worse off if we do not eat, and no better off if we do. But take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. For if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will he not be encouraged, if his conscience is weak, to eat food offered to idols? And so by your knowledge, this weak person is destroyed, the brother for whom Christ died. Thus, sinning against your brothers and wounding their conscience when it is weak, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. As we consider these words, yes, of grace, but also particularly drawn To a circumstance in their church, let us turn to the Lord in prayer. Father, help us to understand not only the words when they were written, but also the context, and, Father, to apply those words to our current culture and situation. Lord, help us to know the principles contained therein, that we might glorify you with believing hearts and hearing ears. Father, I pray that as your word shall stand forever, I pray that if any words spoken tonight are not consistent with your word, they might pass away. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, a few years ago, you may not have known it, but there was a movement across the country in this part of the world called the Restless and the Reformed. Now, in this movement, it was unusual in that many young people were being drawn to Reformed theology. In fact, There were many young people, especially young men, who would uh, find themselves reading Reformed thinkers like Calvin or others, and they began to look at Reformed theology as very important. It was a great time of encouragement for the church, which so often found themselves uh, being rejected by the young people in our country and society. Now, in an interesting way, it was also marked by an attraction to beards, that is, long beards, to cigars, and to bourbon. Traditional teaching in the American church considered abstinence from alcohol and tobacco in consideration of the weak brother. But these reformed youngins tried to say that the weak brother is the one who refuses to imbibe because of the freedom that they have in Christ. So what is proper in such cultural contexts? Is the weak brother the one who can't drink alcohol or is the weak brother the one who does drink alcohol? Is the weak brother the one who imbibes in the freedoms we have in Christ or is the weak brother the one who abstains from those things for the sake of Christ? What is the truth? Well, here, Paul, first of all, gives us the truth of the matter regarding food sacrificed to idols. Then he will give us the application of the matter in respecting the conscience of others. Here is the point that he makes at first. First of all, he says, concerning this, he says, we know that all of us possess knowledge. It appears that he's quoting from the letter that they sent him asking this question. They said they all know in the church, or should know, that idols are not real. In fact, we saw that in Isaiah in the the passage we read earlier. But notice what he says about this. He says, this knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Now, what is he talking about? First of all, he says, knowledge puffs up. And in essence, hides wisdom. Verse 2 says, if anyone imagines that he knows something... He does not yet know as he ought to know. Now you have to understand in the context of the Corinthian church, one of their great things that they like to promote in their church is the idea of knowledge or wisdom. This idea of Sophia, the Greek word for wisdom, was very high in the charts, not only of their Greek culture, but also evidently in their church. And so they lifted up this idea of knowledge or wisdom to gain it at all costs. Even to the point that sometimes there were those in the church who seemed to offer that they were secret knowledge items. That if you just studied enough or you were special enough, you would gain wisdom in such a degree that it would be special before God. But here he says, knowledge puffs up. In other words, it makes you prideful. But then he says... On the other hand, a thing that you don't think is necessarily the reverse of knowledge, he says, but here, love, he says, love builds up. And then he says this, if anyone loves God, he is known by God. In other words, Paul turns on their head the idea that knowledge is the most important thing by saying, really, even more important than knowledge is love. And love here is something that reveals your relationship with God. In other words, if you love God, it's only because God has known you. Not that you've known God, but that God has known you. So here he is turning On their head, the idea that knowledge is the epitome of a sanctified Christian life and reminds them that the basics of Christian life begins on the foundation of love. And then he begins to answer the Corinthian question. Verse 4 says, Therefore, as the eating of food offered to idols, we know that an idol has no real existence and that there is no God but one. In other words... He's saying, I agree with you. Idols are not real gods. They are, in essence, nothing. This is the thing that all of them should know. They should know that there are no real gods except for one God. That is, the one God of all creation, the creator of all things. He says, for although there may be so-called gods in heaven or on earth, or indeed there are many gods and many lords, Yet for us, there is one God. And notice who he says this one God is the Father, creator, and sustainer of all. Three, in other words, he says, this one God from whom are all things and for whom we exist. In other words, he's reminding them even though there's a great pantheon of gods in Corinth and you can go down to the corner temple and begin to worship those gods, they're really not gods at all, they're nothing. There's only one God, the creator of all things. Then he says there's not only one God, there's only one Lord. That is one master or one through whom not only all things exist, but particularly through whom we exist. Notice this, there's one Lord. In other words, he's saying not only is there one God who created all things, not only are we created through Jesus Christ, all things are created, but we in the church, coming to faith in Jesus Christ, exist because Christ is the one who died for us. It is through Christ that we have the new life in Jesus. And so the truth of the matter is this. Because there are no real gods and there is only one God, we do understand that when it comes to this idea of food, there are certain ways that we can understand how we can apply that to our lives. But the principle has been this. Love triumphs knowledge. We ran across this morning in our Sunday school class, the one with the older elementary students, this verse, Proverbs eleven two, 2. When pride comes... Then comes disgrace. But with the humble is wisdom. In other words, the first thing that Paul is saying regarding these matters is not so much all the truth about idols and so forth, but the foundation of that truth, love. There is a famous movie line. Perhaps you remember it. Even if you haven't watched the movie, perhaps you've heard it. When someone famously yells out, You can't handle the truth. Well, in this portion of Scripture, Paul tells them the truth about idols, and then he begins begins to tell them how to handle that truth. How do we properly handle the truth that there are no gods, even when everybody else in society around them is eating food offered to these idols and inviting them to participate? Well, here he says this. In essence... He's telling them to respect the conscience of others within their church community. He says, verse 7, not all possess this knowledge. In other words, he's reminding them that in essence, some do not know the truth about this matter. There are some who don't understand that idols are nothing, that idols really don't exist, that there is only really one God with actual divine power and who can actually work in the universe And so there are some who don't know this. So he says, but some through former association with idols, eat food as really offered to an idol, and their conscience being weak is defiled. So when we understand that there are no idols, we also understand there might be some in that Corinthian congregation who don't know that these other gods are not real. They have not really experienced that truth yet. And it might be because of their former association with idolatry. It might be, as they consider Paul's teaching just a few chapters later, in chapter 10, verse 14, when he tells them, flee from idolatry. It might be that they hear those words and they're fleeing from idolatry because they fear these other gods. They haven't come to the understanding yet that there is only one God. And then they also might see food as really offered to, to, to idols, In other words, it's not just something that that people do and it really doesn't mean anything because there are no idols and it's really meaningless in that sense. They really believe in their hearts that when things are offered to those idols, they're really being offered to those idols. They have a weak and defiled conscience. Now, he's not belittling them or looking down on them for this. He's just telling those who do have the knowledge and the understanding that there really are no idols, that there might be those within their congregation who are not sanctified on this matter yet. They don't understand all these details, at least with their hearts as well as their brains. And so he says, food will not commend us to God. We are no worse off if we do not eat and no better off if we do Now on the one hand, those who are weak and don't know the truth about these things, the idea of having a defiled conscience means that it has been hurt by this idolatry and their participation in it. It is something in which it has uh, been, been weak because of the display of idolatry in their lives. And so he says the actual eating or abstaining of this food is not the real issue. The real issue is not, are you going to eat the meat or are you not going to eat the meat? He says, really, we're no better off whether we eat it or not eat it. And, of course, this uh, reminds us that there are so many things in life that have neutral spiritual value before God. Those that, that would eat meat in the eyes of God, God wasn't going to say, look, you're eating meat, you're wonderful people. He also wasn't going to say to those who were abstaining from meat, look, you're not eating meat. You're wonderful people, not because you're vegetarians or whatever. The idea is that this food is not the issue. The issue was this. Take care that this right of yours, again, the right to eat meat because you understand that there is no such thing as idols, and so this meat offered to idols is not really offered to idols uh, it, it's really just eating meat. He says, This right of yours, beca- take care that it does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. For if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will he not be encouraged if his conscience is weak to eat food offered to idols? In other words, refrain from applying the truth in such a way as to make a stumbling block to the weak. So you see, the proper diet here is not about yourself. The proper diet is about your church community and pleasing God. And so he says here, it's not about you, it's about God first and your community second. Notice why he says we should apply the truth in this way lest he be encouraged to eat idols' food in sin. Now again, when we first read that, we think, well, he's not really eating the food of idols. He's not really practicing or participating in those things. If only we would just teach him the truth of the matter, then we wouldn't have to worry about it, would we? Well, in one sense, that may be true, but seeing seeing how the Holy Spirit sanctifies people and reveals the truth to people in different ways and in different speeds and all those things, then we often need to take into consideration where that other brother is. And so we don't want that person to eat the idol's food in sin. In other words, if in their conscience they're going to that feast and eating that food is really participating in idolatry by eating food sacrificed to idols, then if that person does that, it's sinful to them. And we must take that in mind. Their conscience is weak. Verse 11 says, So by your knowledge this weak person is destroyed the brother for whom Christ died. In other words, not only do we apply this way not to make a stumbling block to them that they might not be encouraged to eat idols' food and sin, but also lest you destroy your brother for whom Christ died. Now, when you first look at this, you think, does that mean that it's up to us whether or not somebody can be saved? Can we actually destroy somebody's salvation? No, it's in the present tense. It's a reminder here that this could, in essence, as we might say, stunt their Christian growth. These are real brothers for whom Christ died. In other words, their eternal salvation is secured if they truly have spoken this profession of faith with their heart conviction that they believe in Jesus Christ. We cannot eternally condemn somebody by our our actions, but we can hurt them. In fact, look at what it says. Thus sinning against your brothers and wounding their conscience when it is weak. In other words, these weak brothers who have great value, they have great value because Christ died for them. Just like Christ died for me and for you, so it is the weak brother. Christ has died for them too. We cannot, in pride with our knowledge, look down on this weak brother and consider them second class. Because Christ has died for them just as he's died for us. And he says, in that sense, don't destroy them and and make it so that you do not sin. Notice the words here against Christ. In other words, if you wound the conscience of your brother by doing something that causes them to have a stumbling block in their faith, even if it's because they do not understand the truth of simple knowledge of the gospel, then by doing so, you're sinning against Jesus. He says here, therefore, If food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat lest I make my brother stumble. You see, when you sin against Christ by doing this, you do two things. First of all, you're sinning against your brother. What a terrible thing. Imagine if somebody in the Corinthian church really struggled with this idea that idols are not real and they really struggle in their conscience because of their former participation with idolatry and they're trying in their hearts to flee from it and break from it totally and you invite them to one of these idolatry feasts in which they eat meat and that person comes to that feast and he sees you eating that meat and he thinks, it's okay, evidently to worship these false gods by eating this meat. And this person is set back for a long period of time because he's struggling between worshiping the idols and worshiping Christ. And here it says, you're wounding his conscience. The word wounding here is like beating or striking someone. You're basically pummeling his conscience What a terrible thing to do. You see, we live in a society in which we are told over and over again that at the right opportunities, we should assert our rights, our rights for this or our rights for that. And as Christians, we have certain rights. We have rights to declare that we can eat this meat because there are no real idols or gods. And yet, if it pummels the conscience of a brother, we should abstain. We could list all kinds of other rights, But to assert our rights at the damage of someone else is not love. He says, don't eat food that would make your brother stumble. The word stumble is like the word stumbling block. It is the verb here for that noun. And that word stumble is the word scandalize. To cause scandal to your brother. And notice what Paul says. If food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat. In other words, his comfort and his rights come second for the sake of his brother. He's more interested in loving his brother than he is in asserting his rights regarding the truth. Now, did Paul know that eating this meat was okay? Yes, Did Paul know that there were no such things as idols, and if you ate this meat, you were not participating in idolatry? If you were in Christ, you had that freedom? Yes, he knew that. But he also knew that there were those in his congregation who struggled in that area, and because of that struggle and because of their lack of knowledge and their defiled and weak conscience, that it would be better for them to see him abstaining from meat than participating in it, he would do it. Now, how many of you are invited to an idolatry feast where they serve meat? Probably not many. However, how does this principle apply to today? Well, there are many ways. I've listed them on your outline there. Perhaps this is not a complete list, obviously. But notice the other things that are here. Idolatry in other contexts or cultures. There's still places in the world where there are pagan temples. If we're traveling to another part of the world and someone says, hey, let's go into this pagan temple and offer an offering in that place, what do you do? Of course, in those circumstances, if we're told this is to worship or please this god or this idol, we must refrain from doing so and participating in those things, even at cost to ourselves or perhaps even to the friendship of those we travel with. On the other hand, perhaps in our culture, we've seen this application and the principles take place in the area of consuming alcohol or tobacco. Are the reformed and restless young uh, folks right in saying that we should imbibe and make sure that anybody who may be weak in that area, that actually they're, they're the ones abstaining for the sake of others who are weak, or is it the traditional teaching of the church that is true? I tend to take this passage to mean that if someone is struggling with alcohol and cannot partake in those things, then we should abstain from that for their benefit. The same thing with tobacco use. If someone is struggling with addiction to tobacco or somebody is struggling with those things, we should abstain from those things for the sake of that brother. In entertainment, is it okay to watch a certain kind of rated movie Is it okay to watch things with foul language or to watch things with sexual content? Is it okay to watch things that may or may not be pleasing the sight of others in the world? These things I leave to you. I don't tell you what you should do in this matter, but this principle is the same. In love... Consider not only your freedoms and rights in Christ to watch some things that maybe others might not watch, but to consider the brother that is watching you watch those things and his conscience and his ability to understand what is good and what is evil. What about the ways of keeping Sabbath? I like to practice Sabbath by worshiping morning and evening. I like to practice the Sabbath by refraining from purchasing items in stores if I can help it and not going out to eat. That's my practice. I like to use it in rest and study and look worshiping God all day long until the sun goes down. But what about those who have a different opinion? What about those who may not be in the same place in their walk with Christ? Do I, in that sense, impose my view on others? Which is the weak brother? I don't have the answer to that, but I think the principles apply here, too. What about educational options? Is it okay to send your child to Christian school or to public school or to home school? I was in a presbytery at the beginning of my career as a pastor when I was... Uh, bombarded with the idea that the only acceptable method of schooling your children is to homeschool them or possibly to send them to Christian schools. But what about the single mother who couldn't do that? Educational options. The most important thing is in love to consider the needs of those around you and to point them to the truth of Jesus and that the parents are the responsibility of the education of their children. You see, all of these things go back to this principle. The scriptures give us knowledge. We should only think about those things which are pleasing in God's sight. We should do those things which honor and glorify him. We should understand that there is only one God and there is only one Lord and all those principles are true. But if we let those truths puff us up to look down on others because of their inability to grasp some of these basic truths, then where is love? You see, in this case, again, proper diets were not proper for the health of the individual. Proper diets were proper for the conscience of fellow believers. In other words, if it is the case that I should abstain from something I know is okay to participate in for the sake of keeping from wounding the conscience of my brother, so be it. Let it be for the other person's sake. You see, Paul teaches that while wisdom is invaluable, love trumps even knowledge. This is the case not only for Corinthians who loved secret knowledge, but for us who sometimes look down on those with a simple faith. You see, those who have a simple faith simply look at the scriptures and believe them. And they may not know all the details of the theological principles that are contained therein. As someone who loves Reformed theology, I understand that not everyone is going to understand all the Reformed theological terms. They're not going to understand all the concepts of what it means in the process and the ordo salutis of salvation. They're not going to necessarily know the difference between the smallest points and pinpoints of theology that are so precious in scriptures but they do understand that Jesus is their Lord and the Christ. We teach them that they might grow and they might learn, but the way we act around them is so very important as well. Are you acting in your Christian life as if you're loving your brothers and sisters in Christ who may not be where you are in your knowledge and understanding? this is so very important as paul encourages the church not only to love jesus with all of their heart soul mind and strength but to love each other as a witness to the world what is your proper diet is it for yourself or for the sake of your brothers let's pray fathers we consider these principles we know lord that sometimes we fail in this matter Sometimes we think only of ourselves. We are self-centered, be full of pride. But Lord, we pray that your knowledge will fall upon us, that we will understand these things. And that when we do understand these things, we will live in such a way as we show our love for others. Lord, help us not to be puffed up with conceit, but Lord, help us to be brought low that we might love others as you have loved us. Father, as we encourage one another in this area, Lord, help us to know what principles these things, or what areas these principles may be applied in. Help us, Lord, by your Spirit, because this is so hard. In Jesus' name.